Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno and Metal Forever Mark. Good evening, everybody. I'm the Vernomatic, and welcome to this week's show. As always, new content drops every Thursday night. Visit the MetalMayhemROC.com website. There you'll find direct links to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Go to the archive page. There you can download past shows. If you're new to the show, welcome aboard. If you're a veteran, thank you for the support. Subscribe to the podcast, leave a review. That kind of stuff helps the bottom line. Do yourself a favor, sign up for our email mailing list. That's a weekly email we send out giving you updates on new shows, merch promos, and every couple weeks we give away some freebies we get from publicists and record companies, and we just pass it along to you. So just sign up for the email list, and you're automatically put into the drawing for this free merchandise tonight's show we have a good one we have author andrew bennett on the show he's actually a filmmaker he released a book last year called eruption in the canyon 212 days and nights with the genius of eddie van halen basically what it is back in 2004 andrew was hired to shoot video and chronicle Eddie Van Halen working in his 5150 studios while the band was getting ready to do that first reunion tour with Sammy Hagar in 2004. He's going to tell us about how he got the gig and just go over the history of the two years that he spent with Eddie, getting to know Alex and Sammy and Wolfie and the eventual reunion with David Lee Roth in 2006. Andrew shares a lot of stories that have never been told. And, you know, if you're a Van Halen fan or a fan of rock and roll, you'll find this conversation riveting, exciting, and informative. Metal Forever Mark, he's on assignment. He'll be back in a couple weeks. We're going to have an interview with Vinnie Apice of Black Sabbath. At the end of the month, they're re-releasing the Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules deluxe versions so Vinny's on the show telling us about what happened with that and sharing what's up to speed with last in line and all his other solo projects so tonight it's andrew bennett author of eruption in the canyon i'm the vernomatic this is metal mayhem roc enjoy the interview folks hey listen up now get that popcorn ready and grab a seat. Do it! As the Vernomatic and Metal Forever Mark presents this week's feature interview exclusively here on Metal Mayhem ROC. So it's a real exciting show today. We have Andrew Bennett. He's the author of the book Eruption in the Canyon, 212 Days and Nights with the Genius of Eddie Van Halen. Andrew, welcome to Metal Mayhem ROC. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's an honor to have you on here. And uh, 
Let's talk uh, Van Halen. Let's talk about uh, what you got yourself into. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, what I got myself into. I got myself into a great life experience, man. I got to hang around a legend for almost a year and absorb all of the knowledge and wisdom from the genius of Eddie Van Halen. Why don't you tell us about yourself very quickly? Uh, you're a filmmaker, or you, you're involved in the arts, you have a history with stuff. Spill the beans. How'd this fabulous story come about in your life? Well, I mean, I've been in the film industry my whole life, like, you know, since I was 20. Uh, you know, my brother became a lawyer, so I decided to go live with rock stars. And uh, so my parents have the, the lawyer son with the three grandkids, and then they've got me. Um, but I've been in this industry for, you know, since I was 20 years old. I was an assistant to two feature film directors. And after that experience, I did my first project. It was a, it was a documentary on Deftones. I'm sure a lot of listeners know who Deftones are, but a metal band. I went on the road with them during uh, their White Pony tour and made a documentary on that. And that's the band that gave me my first music video. You know, I want to thank them and blame them for putting me in the music video world. But yeah, I mean, those guys, those guys opened the door for me and I started doing music videos. You know, I was trying to get into music videos and get the bigger ones. And I met a record producer named Glenn Ballard. And I met Glenn and he introduced me to this, this girl named Katy Perry. And I traveled for about a year with Katy Perry, documenting her and shooting these like makeshift indie music videos. It was like just her and I in different countries. And then in 2004, Glenn Ballard was recording a couple of new songs with Van Halen when Sammy was there. There was one evening where Eddie was a bit frustrated with his singer, <laughs> which I don't think is groundbreaking news in the Van Halen world, but he was frustrated with his singer and he was working hard. And Ed's thing is his big thing is work ethic, man. Like that guy plays guitar 18 hours a day. It just doesn't stop. He is meticulous and attention to detail and hard work. And I think he was a little frustrated one night and he said to Glenn Ballard, uh, I, this is my Eddie impression. <laughs> Sometimes I can't tell these stories without doing an Eddie impression. He said to Glenn Ballard, I wish there was somebody here documenting my side of this shit. And Glenn Ballard said, well, hey, man, I know this kid. And he showed Eddie the trailer for my Deftones documentary, which um, the head of the label for Deftones had called Dark and Depressing. And Eddie loved it. <laughs> Eddie loved it. Guy Siri hated it. Eddie loved it. And he said to Glenn, he goes, call that kid. Call him. And Glenn said, well, you know, Ed, it's three o'clock in the morning. I'll just call him tomorrow. Ed said, give me your fucking phone. I'll call him. And so my phone rang. I saw Glenn's name, but I answered it. And all I heard was Andrew Bennett. I said, yeah. He goes, it's Ed. I had no idea who was calling me from Glenn's phone. So I just said, Ed, who? And he just says, Eddie Van Halen. Just, just, like, <laughs> just like that, in that Eddie Van Halen in, voice. With that beat, he, yes, he pronounced Eddie Van Halen. I couldn't think of anything cool to say at 3 o'clock in the morning. So all I said was, hey, what's going on, Eddie Van Halen? 
he just goes, come up here. I want to talk to you. And I said, okay. And then he just handed the phone to Glenn and Glenn gave me this address and I drove up to Ed's house and 5150 is on the same property. And they drove into these gates in this, you know, in the middle of this canyon with no neighbors around. It's now four o'clock in the morning. And I'm just standing there wondering what the hell is going on. And Glenn Ballard comes walking out and he hugs me and he goes, good luck, man. Good luck. And then he's left. Uh, and let me inter interject right there. The canyon, uh, yeah. we're talking about Coldwater Canyon up in the hills of California. People yeah. that aren't familiar with Glenn Ballard, he's worked with everyone from Michael Jackson, Alanis Morissette, Aerosmith. Now, this guy is a heavy, heavy, heavy hitter. And yeah. a young Andrew Bennett, just to put things in perspective, is rolling with this guy that led to working with a not-so-metal Katy Perry, just to put this in perspective where Andrew was at this time. So it's four in the morning. You're up at... 5150 and the fun really starts all right so glenn drives off into the darkness and just leaves me there it, it, he did not introduce me to eddie he did not tell me why i was there he said nothing all he did was hug me and go good luck man good luck <laughs> out comes ed and got no shirt on he's wearing these tattered jeans with a rope as a belt he's got this kind of coonskin hat on and these combat boots held together with duct tape comes, you know, strutting out of the studio, He's smoking a cigarette, and he just walks up three inches to my face, and he goes, so you're Andrew Bennett. And yet again, I couldn't think of anything to say. So all I said was, so you're Eddie Van Halen. He goes, last time I checked. And uh, he goes, Andrew, Andrew, do you drink? And I'm sober, and, you know, Ed eventually got sober, but at the time, we both drank. And I said, yeah, man, I drink. He goes, good, let's go drink. He grabs this bottle of wine, and uh, right away I could see that this guy was different because here's the, this legendary rock star with all the money in the world, and he's popping the cork on a $6 bottle of Smoking Loon. <laughs> he pops the cork, and I said, uh, I, said, hey, I said, hey, Mr. Van Halen, where do I grab a glass? And he goes, first of all, it's Ed. Second of all, and he holds up the bottle, and he goes, it comes in a glass. So he sat there and passed his bottle back and forth. And he was just kind of talking about his life and his work ethic versus, you know, the work ethic of at the time, you know, Michael, Sam. You know, he's telling me all this and he goes, I want you to document this. I, you know, we're filming this, we're making this new song. You know, I want you to record this. And I want people to see how hard I work. And I said, Great, man. You know, the sun starts to come up and he goes, All right, I'm going to bed. Come back at two. And that was it. <laughs> so now you mentioned that uh, you're working. They're working on a new song. Was that some of the stuff that came from the Best of Both Worlds? It's about time or up for breakfast stuff. Uh, they were doing it's about time, and so I filmed the whole recording of that one song. So Sammy came to do vocals. Ed's obviously playing guitar. Andy was playing bass as well, mm -hmm. and obviously you know Alex on drums. You know, and I made a little makeshift music video out of it. Like Glenn, it was Glenn's idea. He's like, hey, man, make a little music video out of this recording session. So I did that. I think that's out there in the world somehow. It got out there. Um, so people can Google Van Halen. It's about time to see some a gritty black and white video of 
edge shredding at 5150 and the whole kind of recording process. So the first chapter of you meeting Eddie was that call in the middle of the night, you fly up to uh, 5150, it's four in the morning, you and Eddie break the ice and he says, all right, go get some sleep. I'll see you at two. And he wandered away into his place. What were you thinking when you were driving home? I always feel like Van Halen fans are going to hate me and, you know, come to my house with torches when I say this, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Uh, Ed had asked me during that conversation, he goes, so Andrew, what do you know about me and my band? And I said, uh, well, you know, I don't really want to offend you. And he goes, no, 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 offend me. Go ahead. Tell me. And I said, I know the song Jump because it came out when I was four and it was called Jump. And he smiles and he goes, what else? And I said, well, right here, right now, because it was in a Pepsi commercial. And he just smiles ear to ear and he goes, that's all you know about me and my band. I said, again, I mean, no disrespect to you, man. It's a generational thing. But yeah, that's all I know about your band. He says, Andrew, I haven't met anybody in 30 years that doesn't know about my band. You and I are going to get along just fine. It was a big draw to him was, you know, I didn't, you know, he knew that he wasn't going to get peppered with questions about the history of Van Halen and things like that. I was just, I was drawn to the personality right away, you know, and obviously like being at 5150, it was just, it was the whole, like that evening was just like, who is this amazing personality? And this guy that's like just so focused and intense and, you know, seeing the studio and walking around, I was like, God, this is, this is different. <laughs> this is different than a tour bus with Deftones. <laughs> I have a quick question though. Even though Glenn Ballard sent you over there, he never, obviously, he didn't give you like a quick little 30-second bio. It's like, oh, this is Eddie Van Halen. Uh, band's been around forever. Uh, Glenn, Glenn might have, he might have, I think Glenn probably just assumed that I knew, you know, that I had some knowledge of Van Halen. He probably just made that assumption. But, um, you know, he was obviously wrong. I mean, I, you know, I came up, you know, when I was started listening to music, um, I was way into punk rock, you know, Fugazi, Bad Brains, stuff like that. And then being a product of the 90s, it became Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, Nirvana. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't know anything. So help me with my math. So this is 2004 and you were 21, 22? At that point, I was 23, 23 coming up on 24. Like you said to Ed, no disrespect, but... You know, I just really wasn't that familiar. It was that simple. And obviously, you know, as of today, I can name every Van Halen song without hearing lyrics. I know <laughs> the entire catalog. And, you know, I have that same respect, admiration, and, you know, awe of Eddie Van Halen that everyone has. Oh, don't worry. A little uh, later in the interview, uh, I'll quiz you. We'll see how good you are. Okay. So, but, okay. So uh, <laughs> let's fast forward to the next day at two o'clock. The sun rises. Continue your story. Uh, yeah. I drive up there and um, I didn't have the gate code yet. So I drive up there and I'm just sitting at this gate and I don't have Eddie's phone number yet. So I'm just kind of sitting at the gate, like trying to push a call button or this or that. 
And um, then Ed just comes walking out and opens up the gate and wearing the same thing he was the night before, the cigarette dangling in his mouth. And he had uh, the 5150 Kramer hanging on his shoulder. <laughs> and I came in and he goes, he goes, hey, Andrew. I said, hey, Eddie. And he goes, it's Ed. <laughs> I said, hey, Ed. He goes, all right, come on in. And I walk into 5150 and Glenn Ballard sitting there and Eddie just started shredding. And I think it took about 10 seconds until I stood there. And I think a lot of people had this experience when they first heard Eddie. But I stood there and all I was thinking was, what the fuck is going on? What is this man doing to this guitar? I've never seen anything like this. I've never heard anything like this. I was immediately in awe. And so I just hung out for a couple of weeks at these recording sessions and shot a bunch of stuff and made a little makeshift music video that Ed liked. You know, then they were done recording. They went on tour and I went on to start directing music videos. We're talking with Andrew Bennett. He's the author of the book Eruption in the Canyon. 212 days and nights with the genius of Eddie Van Halen. So, so you say that you're in there that first day and he's, he's shredding. Is he doing his, um, just jamming on the guitar? Is he playing songs? Is he doing his, uh, you know, his guitar calisthenics that he does the wiggly wigglies and, you know, the dive bombs or. Yeah, that's what he was doing. It was, he was getting ready for the recording session, but he would just stand there and just, noodle and play away he's warming up his fingers but you know eddie's not sitting there you know just doing basic scales or basic chords he's just shredding that's his warm-up it's just shredding and um you know at one point uh at one point we were standing there and he was kind of shredding and just going about it and he kind of looks at me and sees these wide eyes and he goes this is how i warm up if I can't do this for 20 minutes straight before I go out on stage, then I don't go out. It was the first time, it was kind of sort of the first moments where, you know, like I can't play guitar to save my life. Um, so what I took from Eddie was like this work ethic and passion that I've sent, you know, from that day turned in like to the way that I work. Um, you know, I've worked with producers on my music videos and there's been a, common saying when I have this like attention to detail and there is no complacency and we get it right. Um, and producers have said things like, you know, this is our third take, man, this is good enough. And the first time somebody said that to me, I gave them this intense look that Eddie would give somebody. And I said, I don't set the bar at good enough. We will finish when it's perfect. And I said to a producer once, if you don't like my work ethic, take your complaints up with Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> that's, that's where I learned it, man. You know, from edit sessions, I'll stay up for 18 hours editing a music video. I'll stay on set for 20 hours. We're doing this until we get it right. So now this is the first day you're there. How long did that period last? Was it, you know, for three weeks? Was it one day? Uh, was it 100 days? Uh, it was about two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Did you work with anyone or you were just by yourself? I was always by myself. Um, I was by myself in 04. And then when I was there from 06, in 06, 07, I was also by myself. Um, Eddie, there wasn't going to be like 
a second camera. There wasn't going to be an assistant. Like none of that. At 5150, when it comes to guests or people or anything like that, the standing rule is if you're not here to work and contribute, then you do not need to be here. There is no hanging out. And the deal with me was I really did not need a second person for anything. And since I didn't need that second person, that second person was deemed not necessary. Like the title says, you're a fly on the wall, uh, taking some stills, just chronicling it. Eddie's uh, intention on this was he just wanted it to be captured to show his work ethic. Yeah, Eddie just wants it, you know, he wants it shot. He wants it on, you know, he wants it on film, tape, whatever it was at the time. Um, that's all he wanted. There was no, like, as far as like the music video for It's About Time, that was Glenn's idea for me to edit that together. Glenn threw me some coin to cut that together. Um, you know, to this day, I'm not really sure that Eddie ever saw it. <laughs> Eddie's world begins and ends with playing the guitar. So things like film, footage, you know, not that he doesn't care. It just never crosses his mind. He's just laser focused on what he's doing. So as a, as a filmmaker and an artist... This project, I it sounds like there really wasn't any storyboards. There really wasn't any um, oh, no. <laughs> any vision. Did you ever find yourself like, this is cool, but I'm really not doing anything outside of just, you know, capturing this guy playing his studio and just work, like you said, 12 to 18 hours a day? Yeah, I mean, it was weird. I, you know, I knew that I was just there for this recording session. And so, yeah, I mean, it's all, I mean, we can call it B-roll, but I was still framing shots. I was still, you know, like when he was, when, you know, when they would do one take of the song, I would stand in whatever, what, you know, position one. And then on the second take, in my director mind, I was like, all right, let's move it over to position two, get close-ups on this one. On this one, let's get an overhead. So, yeah, I'm just storyboarding it in my mind as it went on. Yeah, um, didn't mean to disrespect it, but the way you're talking about the whole situation, you're freewheeling, if you will. Oh, 100%. When through all this, did it go from, okay, you meet Eddie and you know, you're doing what you're doing to you've been around there enough where you're becoming Eddie's friend? Not until 06. Um, in 04, like him and I got along really well. And Eddie is, you know, he's a night owl and he stays up and, um, you know, he stays up. I will just throw this out there. It was purely on the adrenaline of playing music before anybody wants to get into the rumor mill there. And he, he felt comfortable talking to me about personal stuff and him as a musician and, you know, his feelings on Mike and Sam at the time. I, I had, you know, my, when I'd done the Deftones documentary, um, our, in, my interviews with Deftones were always one-on-one -on -one and very conversational. I didn't have a list of questions. Uh, you know, we just talked and that's what I did with Eddie. I just, he just, I think he enjoyed having somebody to talk to, um, in general and somebody who was really listening and cared. And I think the underlying factor that I don't know everything about you, or at that point, I don't know anything about you is what he was drawn to. I, you know, in a sense, Ed had a friend he could sit there and talk to. And this friend wasn't going to go, you know, posting shit on the internet or, you know, anything like that. He found somebody he could trust. 
Yeah, that's what you said from the beginning. He, that you weren't a uh, fanboy or anything. So 2004, you you were there for a couple weeks. You said this was right before the release of the uh, Best of Both Worlds and the the reunion tour. When did uh, when did you meet Sammy Hagar and Michael Anthony and Alex? Well, I met so I met Sammy in '04 during those recording sessions. He came up to do his vocals. Uh, Mike wasn't around because Eddie was playing the bass. Yeah. Um, and Alex, I think, had pretty much wrapped up his part. So in 04, I'd met him a couple of times at a couple of nights, but I did get to know Sammy, you know, as well as I could in a short period of time at that time. Um, Sammy and I would hang out and chat and, you know, <laughs> he was a really nice guy. He had good spirits. He, you know, he understood the intensity of Ed and kind of let it all, you know, run off of him. Like there was a night where Sammy and I were standing outside chatting and Eddie came storming out of the studio and Sam just goes, Hey, Hey, where are you going, man? And Ed just yelled, I'm done. Time for you to sing, bitch. <laughs> wow. Let's uh, before we move forward, let's touch on the actual 5150 studio. What was it like in there? Describe the atmosphere of 5150. When you drive into those gates, you have basically sealed yourself off from the outside world. Um, Eddie, oh, you know, the property uh, is literally tucked into this canyon between Mulholland Drive and Ventura Boulevard. And so when you drive into the gates, there are no neighbors. There's no lights off in the distance. There's no noise. There's nothing. You've literally driven into the world of 5150. And the studio itself is an old converted guest house that, I mean, quite honestly, I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but the studio looked like something that the Unabomber would have been hiding out back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I get, like, get that impression through photos. I, I heard it was an yeah. old racquetball court or something like that. I, I've, I've heard all kinds of things. Um, if there's no, it could not have been a racquetball court. It looks like it was a converted guest house. Okay. Um, so that's, yeah. I mean, it looked to me like a converted guest house, like 5150, like the studio itself and where Alex plays drums would have been some kind of bedroom, living room area. And then there was like a little kitchenette. And then the room that I shared with his assistant, Matt Brooke looked like it would have been the bedroom, but it was nothing fancy at all like there were no housekeepers coming by 5150 i never saw anybody dust or clean anything it was just this very raw you know i kind of like eddie like you know let me take these basic essentials some wood a roof some plugs and when i'm done with it i'll create magic what about the main house yeah well <laughs> it was nice <laughs> it was, you know two stories and it looked like some kind of you know some kind of gothic mansion um it wasn't you know over the top crazy but you know something that you might expect somebody to live in who's sold 100 million records but the inside of the house at that time was just empty this was uh after val had moved out and this was the divorce period Correct. Yeah, so this is Val doesn't yeah, Val wasn't living there. Like they were divorced and it was prior to it was prior to everything. It was prior to Wolfgang even 
you know, yeah. anybody even thinking about Wolfgang joined the band and it was prior to uh, the second wife. Now, going back to 5150 was throughout your whole time up at the studios, was anything ever mentioned or talked about the endless rolls of tape, any videos in the safe, like the Oakland 81 three promotional video that was shot? Right. Was any of that ever discussed? Did you ever ask about it? I, I, I didn't know about stuff like that, like the 81 Oakland show. I know now, but I didn't know that stuff then. The closest I got to asking him was there is there is a room at the studio. And there's all these shelves, like from the floor to the ceiling, side to side, and all these shelves have all of these uh, old Ampeg tape cases, these big gray cases with labels on the side. Yeah. And um, and I asked him once. I said, "Hey, man, what's what's all those cases?" And he goes, "Uh, oh, stuff I've recorded." I said, well, like, you, know, you never put it out? And he goes, no, nah, I never put it out. I said, it's a lot of music, man. I said, why didn't you ever put it out? And he just looked me dead in the eye and goes, because it wasn't good enough. There you had it. Yeah. Man, yeah. a perfectionist. You know, there had to be a hundred songs on those shelves, but in Eddie's, to Eddie's standards, they weren't up to snuff. Do, uh, was tape always rolling? Always, yeah. Okay. So- always. So everything was just being captured and archived, and that's really what it is. And and even of recently, uh, Wolfgang has said um, they're going to have to go through all that, restore it, and label it, and inventory it, and it's a process in its own. So It's got to be, because there's a lot of music there. And just knowing Ed, it was that case. It was, you know, they recorded a song. When it came time for the album, he just made, you know, didn't feel that song was good enough. So it didn't make a record and it just went on the shelf. There was no, (laughs) there was no catalog of what is what. There was no, you know, Excel spreadsheets. (laughs) It was just tons of music sitting on shelves. And that's why I would imagine that Wolfgang has got his work cut out for him. Awesome work though. There's a chapter in the book called This is Why You Should Never, Ever, Ever, Ever Break Into Eddie Van Halen's House. <laughs> okay. Let's hear this. And I'll share it. It's, it's a little, it's a couple of pages in the book. I'll trim it down for you here. We had some guys working on the roof of the studio one day, and they saw Eddie open this door to where all of his guitars were kept. And that door doesn't lock. You just kind of have to shake it because they you know, it's been warped from the weather. You just got to shake it and open it up, and there you have every guitar that Eddie Van Halen owns. And these guys saw him do it. And for the rest of the day, Eddie keeps telling me, he goes, Andrew, they're going to come back, man. They're going to come back. I'm telling you, they're going to break in. And I tried to explain to them that, Ed, you live in a fortress. You own an entire canyon, littered throughout this entire canyon, mounted to trees, walls, our video cameras which are then wired to monitors that are in your house. I said, your private security is the actual LAPD. Because they would drive up and around in the canyon, shining lights, looking for stalkers or anybody who might be trying to get too close. Without Ed calling, it was just something they did. A nice favor to Eddie Van Halen. And so I got telling him, I was like, look, man, I, I understand your paranoia because I'm sure you've had experiences like this before. I go, those three guys aren't coming back, Ed. 
And then at three o'clock in the morning, I just hear an Uzi just going. And I wake up and I go, oh, shit. (laughs) This is part of being a 5150. You hear an Uzi instead of jumping up from your sleep and going, oh, my God, oh, my God, what's going on? You just wake up and go, oh, shit. I wonder what this is. (laughs) You just walk outside. And I walk out and there's Eddie and uh, no shirt on, standing there with an Uzi around his torso, night vision goggles on top of his head. And he walks up to me and he goes, I told you they would come back. I said, man, you're lying to me. I go, is this a joke? Are you lying? He goes, Andrew, Andrew, you want to come downstairs and watch, you want to come down to the house and watch the tapes? They came back. And I told him, I go, no, I, I believe you, Ed. And at this point, all I want to know is, are there dead bodies in the canyon? Yeah, right. <laughs> because with an Uzi, you don't really miss. Easy gun. And so I said, I go, well, Ed, are the guys? And he just cuts me off. And he goes, here's what happened, Andrew. I was down in the house playing guitar because that's what he would do. Even when he went down to his house, there's guitars and amps all throughout the house. And that night he was playing guitar and he was scared these guys were going to come back. But he was playing the guitar and watching the monitors. Sure as shit, those three guys came back, man. And they hopped that back wall and they were introduced to Eddie Van Halen standing there with night vision goggles and Uzi telling them, freeze, motherfuckers. I know how you got in and you're not going out the same way. Wow. <laughs> he made them he made them climb from the backyard all the way up to Mulholland Drive. And at one point he told them to climb faster. One of them yelled out, I'm climbing as fast as I can. And Ed said, I highly doubt that. And that's when he started firing off the Uzi. <laughs> I said to him, Ed, it's pitch black outside and you can't just fire an automatic weapon at people. And he goes, Andrew, first of all, and he just taps the night vision goggles. He goes, I can see. Second of all, I wasn't aiming for them, Andrew. I was just shooting at their feet a little bit. And he goes, and besides, he goes, besides, Andrew, he never seen three motherfuckers climb a mountain so fast. It was hilarious. <laughs> and then at that point, you know, the LAPD were called and, you know, they swarmed the canyon. And, you know, I can't imagine those guys got away. <laughs> yeah. Who called the cops? Neighbors? Uh, Matt Brock. Well, I mentioned Matt in the book. Matt, you know, was Eddie's best friend. Yeah. And on top of handling everything in his career for him, Matt's the ultimate filter. Nothing's getting to Eddie without going through Matt first. Mm-hmm. And and Matt, I, how do I explain this? I mean, it's, just, it's definitely, you know, it was definitely Matt's best friend. And Matt was rightfully, like, protective of him like a brother. Um. So, yeah, I mean, Matt lived on the property, you know, Matt had to do things like call the cops for this or handle this, that, but he's Eddie's right-hand man, man. And, you know, he he didn't appear to be like a yes man either. He talked to Eddie like a friend and I just can't say enough good things about Matt. Like we should all be so lucky (laughs) to have a friend like that. But yes, Matt, Matt Brock definitely runs the EVH world. Yeah. We're talking with Andrew Bennett. He's the author of the book, Eruption in the Canyon. 
212 Days and Nights with the genius of Eddie Van Halen. Here's a quick question. I was going to ask you this a little later, but it's sort of relevant now. If you were to meet this man and develop a relationship with him, would you ever think that he would possibly be a rock star? And I use that term loosely because Ed doesn't even think of himself as a rock star. He's a musician. No, he does not think of himself as a rock star at all. Um, my my take, if I had met him and didn't know, and I'm, you know, I didn't know he was Eddie Van Halen, um, I would think I could think he's a rock star, but I would never think a rock star who's this virtuoso genius from one of the most iconic bands ever. He more had the personality of like my friend Stefan, who's the guitar player in Deftones. Mm. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. It's like, you, you you know he's a musician, but you would never think that he was admired and worshipped by millions of people. He, and a lot of these people put him on this pedestal, and you never knew him from that pedestal. You just knew him as Ed. You're just like, this is Ed. And you you grew and developed that appreciation for him. Oh, he would say that to me all the time. You know, if he was frustrated with something, the usual thing he would say is, uh, Andrew, you know me. I'm just Ed, right? I go, yeah, man, you're just Ed. He goes, yeah. But you know, Andrew, sometimes I come across some assholes and they just push me and push me. And that's when I become Eddie Van Halen. So it was his way of saying, like, I'm just Ed, man. But I am highly aware that should some asshole push me too far, I can be Eddie Van Halen. But ultimately, he just wants to be Ed. Did you ever, like, turn the tables on him and not show disrespect, but just say, oh, man, that's whack. You're being an ass or anything like that. Or he was still the boss. <laughs> or he's still the boss. Supposedly, he was, you know, supposed to pay you for all this. But, like, like talk, to him as a, talk to him as a friend. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the one time I, uh, one of the times, I think it was the closest I came to, like, laughing and mocking him. We were, ve- like, we were very comfortable at this point. Like, to get to a comfort level with Ed where you can kind of, like, make a joke, you got to be around him for at least a couple of months on a daily basis before you can do that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But I was going to the store one day, and I said to Ed, uh, hey, man, I'm going down the store. You want to come with me? And he just gave me this very confused look. He goes, I can't go to the store, Andrew. And I, this is when I mocked him. And I said, oh, you can't go to the store? Aw, is that because you're Eddie Van Halen? The rock star can't go to the store? Is that why you can't go out in public? And he just puts his cigarette out, smiles, and goes, all right, Andrew, let's go to the fucking store. <laughs> That's awesome. We. And so we go to the store and the man did not make it five steps into the parking lot getting out of the car before people notice him. But the difference between Eddie Van Halen getting noticed and, you know, say any other rock star, um, you know, like I've been around my friend Chino from Death Zones and he gets recognized. And the response is always, oh, my God. Oh, my God, Chino. What's up, man? I'm such a big fan. And with Eddie, the people stop walking 
They put their hands over their mouths. They're trying to breathe. They're staring at him and they can't talk. And when they do start talking, it goes, oh my God, oh my God, you're Eddie Van Halen. And that, and though, like, that happened a couple times in the parking lot, three more times in the store, and two more times when we left the store. Wow. And every single person was the same way. And at one point, there's a guy who just can't speak and he can't speak. And Ed just turns to me and goes, this stops eventually. He'll eventually talk. And, and so I also like to point this out about Eddie at the store. Every single one of those people who stopped, who couldn't speak, that were, like, were trying to catch their breath, Eddie did not walk away from those people. Eddie stood there and he waited and he waited for them to get their composure together. And then he listened to what they had to say to him. And he thanked them from the bottom of his heart for supporting him and being a fan. And then he hugged them. That's how Eddie did it. Every single one of those people, I'm getting goosebumps, dude, sorry. From the parking lot to inside the store, to now I'm getting choked up, to outside the store. That man stopped for everybody and gave them not just like, hey, what's up, nice to meet you, sign something and walk away. He gave them a moment that they will never forget for the rest of their lives that they're telling their friends about. And he knew that they would do that, and he respects that. And he appreciates the fact they've been around since Van Halen won. So you and Ed walk out of the store, and you get in uh, his Porsche or whatever you took down to the store. <laughs> no, we were in a, no, we were in this military assault vehicle he bought at an auction. <laughs> it's, a, it's made by Lamborghini. It's made by Lamborghini, but it's, 25% bigger than a Hummer. It was all black, bulletproof, with a gun turret on the back of it. No gun. <laughs> the actual turret that turns a machine gun around. But we get back in the car, and he looks at me, and he goes, and that, Andrew, is why I can't go to the store. Do you ever, <laughs> do you ever ask him, like, do you ever say to him, or did you, wow, that was pretty cool how you handled it with them, or impressive, or nothing was said no i it's funny you asked that question. nobody's ever asked me that question um you know like if you guys are friends you know when you get the you know like oh yeah 100 percent. You you're in that comfort level and you, you the door slams and it's like i would like sort of look at him and say dude man you're not kidding man you know these people but you handled it pretty well you made that dude's day i know we we got back in the car and we closed the door and he's you know he says that's why i don't go to the store and he's smiling. He's not complaining. He's not angry. He's smiling. And I said, I stand corrected, Ed. That was really fucking weird. <laughs> I just never been around like people reacting to a person like that. And we were driving back up to the house and I point, so cool. You asked that question. I didn't ever ask that question. And so I did ask him, um, I said, dude, that was really cool. You man, like the way that you don't walk away from them or shun them. Like that's really nice of you to do. And he looks at me and goes, Andrew, that's the shit I'm supposed to do. You treat people right. And he was, you know, he was big on that. He didn't think he was like a super, you know, amazing guy because, oh, look at me. I stop and take pictures. Ed's take was, that's just the shit you're supposed to do. Be a good person. Did you stop and say that little Andrew voice to yourself like, dude, man you're like developing this relationship with Eddie Van Halen and, and it's not that it's Eddie Van Halen, but this is something, this is something here. 
You ever say that to yourself? I was learning life lessons. I was learning life lessons. That's what I was taking from him was, I mean, I, <laughs> I must have used that like, I think I used that line probably three days ago. I, I mean, it sounds very cliche, but I was quite literally helping an old woman get across the street. And, uh, and my friend goes, wow, man, that was, that was a really nice thing of you to do. And I said, man, that's just shit you're supposed to do. So I, that, that's, he ingrained in me so much just from my personal life to advice on women, advice on this industry. You know, I, he was just like this guru. <laughs> um, sorry, man, I can go on and on all day and gush about him like that. It's had such an impact on my life. Hey, man, I totally understand. I've been a fan of this man for well over 40 years. I haven't had the interaction like you did, but he's touched me in ways that I could totally relate to. So the 2004 era is over. And where are you professionally? And how do you get involved with Van Halen for a second time in 2006? Uh, So they were done. So, I, you know, they finished that in 04, I left, um, and I was trying to kind of get my foot in the door with music videos. And Glenn Ballard, you know, helped me with that. Like, he connected me with a couple of, you know, lesser-known bands. He connected me with this, uh, there's an Italian singer named Elisa, E-L-I-S-A. And in Italy, she's like, I don't know, how do I compare it? She's like the Adele of Italy, like a beautiful voice. And she sells millions of records in Italy. And he introduced me to her and we got along. And so I did a couple of music videos for her. And luckily those videos were successful as far as, you know, being seen and being appreciated. And then that was kind of my foot in the door. I still did some stuff with Deftones um, at the time. And I, I was starting to, I was getting my foot in the door with like record labels and stuff like that. But then in 06, I got another phone call from Ed and you know, I, my phone rang. I picked it up. I said, hello. And he goes, Andrew, it's Ed. At this point, I know who it is. <laughs> yeah. said, hey, Ed. He goes, said, hey, Ed. He goes, what are you up to these days? I'm just directing, you know, music videos and working my way up. He goes, all right, all right. Well, here's the deal. I kicked out that fucking bass player. I'm replacing him with my fucking kid. And you should be up here documenting this. <laughs> it was the <laughs> best pitch I'd ever heard. I was like. How on earth do I not go do? I'm sorry. You replaced Michael Anthony with a kid who can't drive a car? Like, this is either going to be an amazing train wreck that I get to film, or it's going to be a moment of rock and roll history I get to film. There will be no in between on this. Well, we're just going to have to find out what happens with Andrew, Eddie, Alex, Dave, and Wolfie next week on Metal Mayhem ROC as part two of Eruption Into Canyon with Andrew Bennett continues. I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC, and we will talk with you next week. 
Metal for Life. Thanks for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our websites at MetalMayhemROC.com and MetalForever.com for information on upcoming concerts, podcasts, archives, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. Catch us next time on WLFE-DV Radio. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.